This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, and I am joined here by my dazzling co-host, Bree Tucker. Hello, hello, everybody. I love that dazzling. We now have a list of positive quality adjectives that, you know what, we had all along and... <laughs> I didn't realize. Sitting right next to us. Sitting right next to us because it is in our upcoming SIB journal, the system for siblings to communicate without yelling or hitting. There is a list of positive quality adjectives in the SIB journal. Yes. And so I just have it open right now. I picked one that describes Brie mm -hmm. and... Batting my eyelashes. Oh. Bam, it's done. Yes, it's done. So today's episode, we are talking about being a mom with a chronic illness. And this episode happened in a kind of roundabout way. I was messaged on Facebook by my friend Jessica Avery, and we went to high school together. <laughs> and we just recently reconnected at our 20-year... Oh, 20 years? Holy cow. I know. Like every time anybody <laughs> says that, I'm just like, oh, man, oh. It, makes, it, it stings a little. It stings. <laughs> but we reconnected at our 20-year reunion, and she texted me. She's like, you guys should really do an episode about being a mom and dealing with chronic illness. And so I was like, that's a really great idea. And then I said, would you like to be on this episode? And she agreed. And then we thought of our friend Alana, who also is a mom with a chronic illness. Mm -hmm. And she agreed to come on as well. And that's that's how it happened. Yeah, it was a really, really great conversation. And an interesting thing too that I found happening as we were discussing it, I don't have a chronic illness. I mean, the closest thing I have is I suffer from migraines, as do many, many people. Mm -hmm. But just hearing the conversation that they were having and the struggles they were dealing with, it made me just realize that, wow, on a much higher level, like this is something that I feel like a lot of moms could probably relate to parts of that for sure. And I think like at certain points in our lives, we're 
dealing with a lot of pain that we may not know the cause of. And so this will help with that as well. Just deal, like talking about the guilt that comes along with that when you're not able to physically help your family or help your kids and the guilt that comes with not being really present with them because you physically cannot. Or just even the part of like, and, and that was the epiphany too, the part that kind of actually named the whole episode, like what your friends with chronic illness you know, want you to know. The part about just asking asking for help. Yes, yeah. asking for help. There are so many good tidbits in this episode and we hope you enjoy. We are brought to you today by our upcoming SIB journal. SIB stands for Siblings Interacting Boldly, and it is the system that teaches siblings to communicate without hitting or yelling. So if right now you have kids yelling at each other in these nonstop fights with no clear path to resolving them, you are going to want to get the SIB journal. Now, it comes out very, very soon, but we have a little contest to celebrate the SIB journal. Tell more, tell more. So you as a listener of the No Guilt Mom podcast, we appreciate you so much and we want to hear from you. So this contest will do just that. Here's what you need to do. We are giving away a SIB journal system and this is valued at $98. And to be entered to win it, we would like you to write a review, give us some stars, five stars for good karma, (laughs) and then screenshot your review And with that screenshot, you're going to head over to noguiltmom.com backslash review. You're going to submit your screenshot and that's it. You're going to be entered to win a Sib Journal system valued at $98. Winning one before you can even buy it. That's always sweeter. Exactly. So we cannot wait to see your reviews and keep an eye out for our upcoming Sib Journal release. And now let's get on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Hi, Jessica Alana. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Hi, thank you. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. We are so interested to get into this discussion about what it's like to mom when you also have a chronic illness, because I know that so many women deal with this, and there's really not very much information or personal stories surrounding it. Yeah, it's kind of like that unspoken area that so many people suffer through Mm -hmm. and there just really isn't an outlet or a community that's easily accessible for everybody. Yeah. So let's start with you two and just give us a brief rundown of your background and then what your struggle is with chronic illness. And we'll start with Alana. Hi. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I am always one who loves to talk about this kind of thing because I feel like so many people out there are struggling with chronic illness and there isn't really an acceptable way to talk about it in the public forum. And that was actually one of my biggest struggles that turned into a bigger issue for me was that I felt like I had to prove my sickness 
because I don't look like I deal with health issues. And so constantly having to prove that or feeling like you do is a problem because what you tell your body affects the way that your body works, you know? And so anyway, I grew up in California, in Southern California, and I moved out to Arizona as a graduate student. I had always had weird little health issues all my life, and they would come and they would go. And then in college, I was diagnosed with a genetic disease and began treatment that I have to have for the rest of my life. And, you know, it never really affected me at all. It turned me into a little bit of an advocate for reforming the health insurance industry, but I never felt sick. It was later on about a year after I had my daughter, when I started to have just what felt like a total collapse of my health and even my identity. And it started with a stressful event, really. And then all these things that had been kind of showing up all my life just sort of all came back all at once. And about a week after the stressful event, I got the flu and then I never got better. And so that was kind of how it all kicked off. And it took me about 10 years to fully get diagnosed. But I was getting, you know, one diagnosis after the other. But the main thing was that there's this hidden autoimmune disease that's causing all of this. And so they still don't fully know what's going on. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been life-changing. It took me about 10 years to figure out how to deal with it too. I finally feel like, okay, now I kind of feel like I have the tools to start to get my life together, but you know, I can't go back. So I want to, I want to help other people who are in the same position so that they don't have to go through what I went through. That's a lot to have to deal with. 10 years, not exactly knowing what you have and still like experimenting and trying to figure out what's going on, as well as raising your daughter, who was very young throughout your whole like diagnosis and trying to get diagnosed. Yes. And so that I think was my single biggest regret issue is that I feel like I wasn't able to be present through so much because I was always worrying and always like, oh, I need to do this or always feeling exhausted. And I feel like that's the one thing when I look back, I don't feel like, oh, I wish I could change this and be more awake for this event. It's like, no, I wish I could go back and just play with Ava when she was three years old. And so that's what hits me the hardest is that presence. And that's something that I'm still learning how to do that even when things are happening and I'm worried about things or I don't know what this means, that I have to let that go or my whole life could pass that way. You know, all of that can be the the case for all of us. We can't let that take over everything else. Hey, all, it is Joanne and Bree here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe. And it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. 
And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick treat. Trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. And there's a lot more that I want to ask you about that, but I want to open it up first to Jessica to give her self-introduction and tell us her story. All about her story, yeah. Hi guys, so I am Tucson, born, raised, will probably end up dying here in my backyard, buried under the mesquite tree, as my husband says. <laughs> but let's see, I have been dealing with um, health issues since I was in my early 20s. At first, a lot of it had to do with female health. I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian disease. I was told it would be very hard to have children, but then I had my daughter actually got pregnant with her, uh, like, a month and a half after that diagnosis. So the doctor was like really shocked. Wow. After I had my daughter, things seemed to be going better. You know, they oh, like uh, with female health problems, there's always a lot of myths like, okay, pregnancy cures it or will ease up the symptoms. So they kind of figured, okay, I got pregnant easily. I had a baby. Things should have been smooth sailing. But when we decided we wanted another baby, that's when kind of like the bottom fell out. I dealt with a lot of chronic pain going from doctor to doctor to figure out what was going on, finally found a doctor that listened, ended up going through procedures and ultimately having surgery and being told I would never be able to conceive again. And anything after that, a few months after that, I got pregnant with my son. So he's like my little miracle baby. But even having my son, who's a high-risk pregnancy, I had a lot of complications with him after he was born. I was like in and out of the emergency room with you know, pain. I ended up having a complete hysterectomy about a year after he was born. They were still kind of like on the fence with the diagnosis for endometriosis. So they were kind of like, well, if you know, if that's what it is, the hysterectomy is going to cure that. It didn't. Unfortunately, there is no cure for chronic diseases like this. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I do talk 
so much about it is because there are so many myths and there are so many doctors telling patients that, you know, this, this, and this can cure this when really there's no cure. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, what one of the messages to get out there is to for women to be advocates for themselves. I'm listening to a lot of talk, there's a lot of overlap, I think, in what we feel or what, you know, what we cope with with this invisible illness. Just it's that, that it's an invisible illness. I don't look sick. You know, I can wake up, put makeup on and get on with my day, but still be in incredible pain. And I think from having polycystic ovaries and endometriosis and having a hysterectomy and that leading to 10 other pelvic surgeries to try and fix what the problem was, you know, to do the whole time. It's, you know, even dealing with work. When I'd go in, I like literally had a heating pad in my desk that I would plug in to help. There's times I'd have to leave work and just head straight to the emergency room just because I was in so much pain. And it's, you know, when people look at you, they're like, but you came to work today. <laughs> there can't absolutely be anything wrong. How did you come to work today? It's like, mm, yeah, you know, I know I didn't break my leg. I know, you know, I'm not like bleeding to death here, but yes, I am in pain. And I think, you know, how she also said, like, it, it changes your identity. It really does because I felt like I went from, a healthy, you know, teenager to being a healthy young adult to all of a sudden having these health problems, you know, after, you know, never having to deal with anything like that. And, you know, even now I'm like a little over a month shy of my 40th birthday and I'm still kind of trying to figure out where my health fits into my identity or where my identity fits into my health. Also with all the surgeries and being in chronic pain, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia just before my 39th birthday last year. A lot of the pain I had was not going away with surgery, with physical therapy, with drug therapy. So fibromyalgia was kind of like the, I don't know, end all be all diagnosis of, all right, well, this is what's going on. And, you know, it's been almost a year into that journey to deal with that. And I'm still kind of dealing with the ups and downs of having fibromyalgia and still dealing with a little bit of the endometriosis and pelvic pain as well. And, you know, just like Lana, like the thing that always gets me is like the exhaustion. I suffer from a lot of fatigue where I can sleep for 12 hours a day, wake up, make breakfast for the kids and have to go back to sleep. And it feels like it just robs me of being a parent. You know, my daughter's 13. She's very self-sufficient. She can cook dinner. She can, you know, clean house. But, you know, there's always that, that guilt that, you know, my 13-year-old daughter and my 9-year-old son shouldn't have to you know, fend for themselves, even though I'm so happy they can cook and everything. I, I always feel guilty that sometimes I leave a lot of that in their hands, you know, after a day of school, having to, you know, heat up dinner and then clean up after dinner and then get themselves, you know, ready for the next day. It's, there's a lot of guilt that I hang on to dealing with that, I think. That's hard. I mean, the mom guilt runs deep, like just day to day. But then when you have chronic pain, like you're almost apologizing every day for being in pain because, you can't like do the things and you can't be there with your kids. And it's so hurtful. I mean, I, I run into that. If I have a migraine, I'm apologizing. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't do this for you. But then when it's long term like that, it just stretches on and on. And like it's mom guilt's just never ending. Right. No, I am nowhere near the same level as you guys. But yeah, I, I have excessive migraines on a regular basis. And I, I'm listening to your stories and I'm like, I understand. I feel the same way when I'm having that because it, it completely, in my case, it, mine's much shorter. It puts me in bed. And I, as a single mom, I felt awful because there'd be days where I'm like, just trying to get out of bed enough to even get a drink of water for myself, there was no way that I had the ability to cook dinner for my children or to help them with their homework that day. 
And unfortunately, they just knew that when those situations happened, that's when they had to turn around and become the parent. Mm -hmm. My daughter would come in and bring me the ice pack for my head. And my son would like make sure that the house was quiet and he would take care of the dog and they would cook dinner. And it just, it makes you feel awful. It makes you feel like you need to apologize for something that your body is, you can't control it. Yes. And especially, you know, for single parents, I just wanted to add because I have been there and that just made it like, that was just like one more thing. And the physical exhaustion of single parenting along with dealing with health issues, it can be really overwhelming. So yeah, I would have days where I could do two things. I could take my daughter to school and I could go to the grocery store and I could come home pick her up, you know, and, and maybe like make dinner. And those like dinner in the grocery store were my two things. And those days alone would just, I would be completely wiped out. And so, yeah, it can be really challenging. Do either of you feel like you have to plan your day around when you expect your pain to happen? Yes. Like I ask because I went through it with, I have ulcerative colitis. And before I got diagnosed, it was just like everyday like clockwork. I'd wake up fine in the morning. And then as soon as that food had a chance to process and go through like the intestines, it was doubled over pain on the couch, like couldn't move for like two to three hours. And I'd have to plan to get everything done and then have my kids like sit in front of the TV waiting for my husband to get home while I like ran back and forth to the bathroom, not knowing what was going on whatsoever. So like, Say, hearing that, like, has anxiety like filtered into throughout the chronic pain? And like, how do you deal with that? And especially not knowing exactly what you're dealing with still. You know, I can say like the whole process, it is anxiety, you know, and I think that the distinction between the mind and body might not be as big as we think it is. And I think like, like along with all of the symptoms, you do get overwhelming anxiety. And I planned out my teaching schedule, you know, based on times of days. And and you were lucky you had that, right? Oh, I'm so lucky. And at the same time, you shouldn't have to be lucky for that. So honestly, I have been really fortunate in that I've had such a, I have such a flexible schedule that it allows me the time that I need at home because I teach from home most of the time, especially right now during COVID. I'm teaching from home and I am teaching hybrid courses. So sometimes we're on Zoom and sometimes we are just working online. So it really lets me plan out my day. And if I need a rest, I can take it. I'm actually in a place where I'm doing a lot better right now. So I'm, I'm definitely feeling more like myself than I have in quite a few years, which is great. It's like the world starts to open up a little bit and I start to remember, you know, what it used to be like, but, you know, I want everyone to be able to experience, you know, that relief of feeling like themselves. Yeah. And Jessica, you mentioned bringing a heating pad to work. Did you have a flexible schedule while dealing with all of this? Unfortunately not. I worked in retail. I worked for Target. I was actually their HR people for the last five, six years. It got to the point though, where every six months I would need a month or two off of work just because how my symptoms would just start to flare up. And then you know, even working a four hour shift would sometimes exacerbate it. So after I think it was in 2018 was a pretty rough year for me. 
that was the year I decided, well, I'm going to take an extended leave of absence and really figure out what I want to do. And during that leave of absence, I went ahead and quit my job. I started feeling a little bit better and I took a substitute teaching position at my kid's school because I kind of was thinking about teaching, but even being a substitute teacher, like I couldn't accept work all the time or sometimes I'd accept work same Monday evening to be there Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, wake up with so much pain, I couldn't get out of bed. And, you know, when they can't even rely on a substitute teacher, that kind of makes me feel like even like worse. So unfortunately I had to quit that job like right before COVID happened and since you know, being at home with my kids, and it's kind of like my full-time job now is just taking care of them and taking care of myself. And, you know, you'd mentioned anxiety, you know, I do get a lot of anxiety just doing day-to-day things. We have learned for the last couple of years to plan everything. We actually have a big whiteboard in our dining room and it's broken down by meal and work schedule and appointments for the day because I have a lot of doctor's appointments. So that way everyone can see that they know what's for dinner. That way, if I I'm too ill to get up and cook or I'm I'm in too much pain. You know, my daughter knows what's in the freezer, what's available to take out and like a quick, easy meal. Or they know like, okay, mom has a doctor's appointment this morning. Then she's going to the grocery store. So this evening, we're just going to have to leave her alone because she's going to be in bed, probably dead asleep. And, you know, the anxiety, I think, you know, I did start seeing a therapist and I started taking medication, which has been adjusted because a lot of anxiety and depression medications are now doing double time working with fibromyalgia. So I've been working with both my pain management physician and my primary care doctor to kind of see what works and what doesn't. So it's not just scheduling and medication, it's just learning how to slow myself down. And that's the hardest part because fibromyalgia is one of those, it has, you know, you have your good days and your bad days and it goes up and down and up and down and sometimes with no rhyme and reason. It just, it does require like that planning and then that just mental like telling myself, you know, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to feel like this. You know, it's not anything I'm doing to myself and, you know, kind of learning how to talk myself down. I do admit I'm not very good at it because I feel like I'm just a sick person a lot. And, you know, I'm still kind of trying to deal how to see myself as not just a sick person. You know, I have fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia doesn't have me. And that's kind of like my little mantra that I say and try to stick to. I like having that mantra because it is an identity shift when you're used to being go, go, go all the time. And then something just stops you. And when your identity is that you're very productive and you're achievement oriented. And I mean, like we went to the same high school. I know how that brain set, that mindset works. (laughs) Like it was like tough, like go get them. Like everyone was like, it was go, go, go. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. 
Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. So it, it must be hard like to transfer that identity from being that way to like having it kind of just stop you. Say no. It's not going to be like this. Right, right. I mean, as moms, I feel like we deal with so many identity issues as it is to begin with, right? Like we try to make sure that we know who we are outside of being a mom, outside of being a partner in a lot of situations in a relationship, outside of being whatever we define ourselves as, as our professional role, if we have a career out, you know, that we do as well. And then when you add in this whole aspect of having a chronic illness that's either labeled or not labeled, right? So labeled, you're lucky enough to have a diagnosis unlabeled. You don't even know what's wrong. You just know it keeps afflicting you all the time. It is so hard to figure out, like you're just saying, Jessica, like, who am I? Like, mm-hmm. what is my identity outside of this? I don't want to be the person who's sick. I don't want to be just a mom. I don't want to, I want to be able to be who I am. Here's the thing that was challenging for me that I kind of mentioned is that I had like a couple of people who didn't believe that I was sick, who thought that I was, you know, I wouldn't say they thought I was a hypochondriac, but they they didn't believe the experience. And I felt like I had to prove it and always be talking about it. And it really held me back. And a little over a year ago, I started doing a brain retraining program basically to create new neural pathways because It's the idea that the brain has the ability to tell your body to heal itself. And, you know, it's it's kind of along the same lines of why meditation works so well to regulate the heart rate and to regulate so much of what's going on in the body. I decided to try this. And one of the key aspects of the program is you can no longer talk about your symptoms. You can no longer talk about being sick. And that was really hard for me because I have to talk about it, you know? And that's like, at the end of the day, like, I just want to tell someone, like, how frustrating this is. And so it's a real challenge that I still deal with, but I've learned to notice at least when I do indulge too much and I just, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to try and stay in this moment and just enjoy, you know, dinner with the people I love and, you know, and not let it always resort to thinking the same thoughts because that's like kind of a big premise is you have to create new neural pathways. Tell yourself that your body is able to heal, that you are able to progress and you're able to get yourself out of a flare. So, I mean, it works, but I do fall back into that all the time. Yeah. And you mentioned that you're like in the best place now that you've been in for a while. Like, do you attribute it to that? I definitely, absolutely, 100% do. Yeah. It has 
changed my life. I've also been doing a lot of other kind of mind body work and just a lot of digging in deeper and trying to address things. I did something called EMDR, which is treatment for PTSD. And it also kind of follows the same reasoning that people who have had trauma or, you know, everyone's had trauma. And But different bodies react differently to it. And some of us, I happen to not have genetically everything that I need to deal with stress. And, you know, they can test for things like that now. And, and so, like, everyone's had trauma and some people can deal with it. Other people, you know, it's, it lingers in the body. And so, like, a lot of those things have worked together. And I, I felt like it's been slow and it's kind of a three steps forward, 2.9 steps back mm-hmm. process, you know, where when you're going back, it doesn't feel like you're still ultimately going forward. And it's only when I look back over the course of the last year and a half that I can really see that progress when I'm in the midst of a flare. Have you read the book, The Body Keeps Score? I haven't read that book, but I've read a book like it called The Mind-Body Prescription, but I do follow the author of The Body Keeps the Score, and I know all about his philosophy, and that's a lot of what I've brought into my own life. As you were talking about it, I'm like, that's just like The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, yeah, it's really fascinating, and that's what kind of set off my whole, my desire to you know, try to make a positive difference if I can. No, the brain's amazing. And like what you say, like neuropathways and stuff, that's how we as humans accomplish really great feats is like, if we don't know how to do something, we like train the brain to like do it over and over and over again. So it makes total sense when you describe it. Yeah. And there's that saying, like, you know, it's kind of cheesy and we think of it as just being a cliche, like the man who believes he can, the man who believes he can't, they're both right, you know? And I think it's not always the case of your belief system. I think it goes so much deeper and I never want to talk about what I dealt with in a way that would ever make someone feel like, oh, it's their fault, you know? Because I think all these things are so complicated. But it's more the idea that no matter how bad it is, there's always a path to moving things in a more positive direction. And that even though I won't be able to ever erase all of these diagnoses that I've been given, I'm still able to make other things work as well as they can so that I don't have to feel like I'm burdened by this. And I also want to try to feel like, even though it's been hard, that I've been given a gift, you know, much more appreciation for things that I didn't even care about and I didn't appreciate when I was younger. So. That's a great way to look at it. So Jessica, what advice would you give for moms currently dealing with pain and maybe not knowing the cause or if they have a chronic illness, just like trying to get through it? What has helped you the most? Learning how to take partners. That's definitely, I think the top thing, well, even going through like a lot of what you write about is like the everyone contributes to the family, not just me, but For me, that was even bigger than just the four people that live in my house. I think a lot of times, even before I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, when I wasn't feeling good, it was something I wanted to keep private because I didn't want people to think I was weak or to see me like this. For me, it was already heartbreaking that my husband and kids had to see me have days like this. You know, my mother definitely knew what I was going through, but until I, as you say, I let her into 
see me, you know, in bed, <laughs> almost, you know, unable to get up and do anything. You know, it was heartbreaking to me to let her see me that way. But I think sometimes people have to see exactly what you're going through in order to be recruited as one of your partners in your health journey and just in life in general. Because when you start taking partners, you know, it's now it's easier for me to call up my mom and say, you know, I don't feel good today. Can you maybe come by and check on the kids later? Or if it's if it's her day off, if she can, you know, take the kids for the majority of the day so I can sleep. You know, even with my grandmother just reaching out, same thing and asking, you know, today I don't feel good. Can you maybe stop by later? Or even asking for a meal. That's kind of like, you know, I've been reading about a lot about how, you know, when there's a tragic situation, a lot of people will say, oh, well, let me know what you need. Oh, I'm here to help. Let me know what you need. But the person that it's happening to is never going to say, you know what, I need this little laundry done. Or, you know, can you bring me by something for dinner tonight? So I think it's learning how to say those things to say, you know, I need help. And specifically, this is what you can help with. I think that's the biggest thing. I think for anyone with chronic illness to learn, and I think just for parents in general, is that I need help, whether it comes from your partner or your your children themselves or a family member or even a friend. I've been learning the last couple of years that, you know, having adult friends is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think when you um, get married and have kids, you sort of become isolated in your own family or your own little bubble. And, you know, you kind of, you know, need to kind of branch out. And when you learn what other people are going through and you're like, oh my gosh, I, the same thing happened to me. Oh, your daughter said that to you too. You know, I think that just kind of makes you feel like, you know, number one, I'm not alone. And then, you know, again, too, having chronic illness and having those people that understand or you can talk to, it just like, it just makes everything you go through a little bit easier. It's huge. Like what I hear you saying is like, first being very specific with what you need and what you want, like the cooking the meal or the doing the laundry, like even just those little tasks can take so much work off of you and so much stress off of you and your family. And then being connected is such a big thing that is not only good for like people's mental health who aren't struggling with an illness, but like also when you have an illness, you need that support around you. You need those people that you can rely on. I love that advice. Alana, what would your advice be? Well, I just wanted to say that, you know, that makes a lot of sense that parenting with chronic illness can be so lonely. It really does feel isolating. And so, yes, having someone that you can talk to, having a person who is your, you know, who can listen. Ideally, they have something to say too, because you don't want it to just always feel like you have to unload, you know, but I have a friend who I could always just rant when I needed to do that about things that were too ridiculous to tell anybody else. And that was really helpful. But I think my biggest thing would be don't fall into the pit of despair, which is the place that I fell into. And it's a place that I always can revert and go back to whenever I feel like, oh no, I'm losing control, you know, like things are escalating. And the pit of despair is that place where you tell yourself that it's not going to get better, that it's going to get worse, that what you have, no one else has or understands, and that there's no hope. And I feel like when I go there, as long as I stay there, you know, that I will confirm that, 
just with what I see in my perspective. And as soon as I make the decision that it's time to get out, that's when I get the phone call or that's when the new opportunity arises or that's when someone comes to help me or, you know, like that's when I feel like things start to open up. And so for me, I always try to pull myself out of that place of just falling into that hopelessness. I think that that's a very true point. I mean, Mm -hmm. self-fulfilling prophecies, our thought processes, they're so powerful, Mm -hmm. so powerful. It's like, look for the light. Like when you're focused only on looking at the negative, that's all you're going to see is the negative. But if you look for like the little positives of the situation or how you can get out of it, more ideas come. Not to say like you're all, but more ideas come. I don't know if you guys remember the MTV character, Daria. Oh, yes. yes. (laughs) So I played Daria. We had this in college. There was always like a spring show that the Greek system would put together. And I played the character of Daria and it fit me so well because I was Daria. I mean, I was like, it's raining outside and, you know, like always. (laughs) So I really had to start to learn to like, no, you don't always have to do the like name all the things that are going wrong. You can start with one thing that's going wrong and one thing that's going okay and one thing that's going right, you know, like to try to start looking for some of the good things too. Yeah, I think that is powerful advice. I could totally relate to you on that because I was like that for a while as well, thinking that like no one wants to hear the good stuff in my life. Like it's just a weird thought process. Now, both of you are now kind of doing work and blogging about being a parent with chronic illness. So we'll just uh, start with Alana. Where can people find you? So I started an Instagram account about maybe a month and a half ago, and it is at Semper, S-E-M-P-E-R, Saner, S-A-N-A-R-E. And that is Latin for like healing always because I like the idea of it's a process and the process of healing, you know, in every way, it's not a destination. And I think for people who deal with illness, they're never just going to reach the other side and be like, yes, I'm healed. You know, it's more like you're learning to change the way that you live and to change your life and to accept the good things that are going to come with that too, as well as the challenges. So. I like that. We will put a link to it in the show notes, by the way, just so people don't have to worry about spelling it. They can look in the show notes. (laughs) And Jessica, where can they find you? I'm primarily on Facebook. It's Dead Dolls House Blog. I sometimes do little live videos, just mini blogs, sometimes little rants. It's kind of like my catch-all for my daily life, but I put everything in one spot on a Facebook page. So that's where you can find me. Well, thank you guys both for joining us. And I have learned so much about like how I can support friends better who have chronic illness and who might be having the pain. And so I've loved having you both on. Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate it. I know it's not easy to always put yourself out there. You're putting out your vulnerabilities mm-hmm. of like, okay, this is something that I deal with on a regular basis that causes stress, has that very, very strong impact on your life. So we appreciate you guys sharing that for sure. And sharing so that other moms out there know they're not alone. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, we will talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. I love that conversation with Alana and Jessica. I thought we like so many great points were brought up about dealing with chronic illness and the pain associated with chronic illness and the guilt associated with chronic illness as well. Yeah. And one thing that really reached out to me was when they mentioned how they felt like they had to justify. Yeah. How they constantly had to prove that they had it because they didn't look sick. 
Right. So then having to justify to people or prove that they were sick and justify the fact that they couldn't do things that other people could do. Like, you know, I want to do this. My body is limiting me from it. Yeah. So that was really, I mean, it just very eye-opening, heartbreaking. And then it just, it made me become like, yeah, I get it. Like I just, it really, really spoke to me. Yeah. So (laughs) after we end interviews, we tend to stay on with the guests a while longer on Zoom and just chat. And we were joking. We're like, why does all the really good stuff come out after we stop recording? Because everybody relaxes. Everyone relaxes. And then it becomes even more of like girlfriends just chatting. Girlfriends chatting. So we we have a brainchild that's going to, I'm hoping it can come into fruition here soon. Not going to say too much, but we're going to have to like figure out a way to start. We have to talk to our guests if they're cool with it. And then it's going to be really fun. But one of the things that came out during this session, which we're tentatively calling No Guilt Mom After Dark. but (laughs) (laughs) So I do have a chronic illness. And I mentioned it a little bit in the interview too. I have ulcerative colitis. And speaking with Jessica and Alana like brought out so many of the same things I went through when I was not in remission. Like Mm -hmm. I am in remission right now. Brought to me by medication. But it's so difficult when you're in that much pain. Like I was doubled over on the couch every afternoon. And I think I said like, (laughs) it was a no guilt mom after dark, how in the mornings I would be fine. And I'd have to like plan my whole day around my mornings because that's when I would be good. And the afternoons, as soon as that food hit my intestines, oh my gosh, it was doubled over on the couch. It was like two to three hours of pain. And it was my kids watching TV the entire time because I, not that there's anything wrong with watching TV, but like I physically couldn't do anything else. Right. There's one thing when they get to do it out of fun. It's a whole other thing when they have to do it out of necessity. It's, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Yeah. So I think the whole point of this episode was if you are dealing with a chronic illness right now, know that you're not alone. There are other moms out there who are feeling the exact same way. And there is a community out there for you. And I think one of the best places to start is with Jessica and Alana's separate blogs and Instagram accounts. Just reach out and find those other moms who are dealing with the exact same thing you are so that you start feeling connected in this community. So until next time, remember the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.